Welcome to the Deeper Dive Podcast. Each week we take a deeper look at the texts we covered in worship on Sunday, and we do that by discussing things like historical settings, literary contexts, the way others before us have read the text, and our reflective approach to reading that same text. This podcast is a part of Calvary's Daily Connection, a place where Calvary shares something new each day to help you grow in faith, so we hope you check that out through Calvary's app or by going to connectwithcalvary.org. Well, today on the podcast, we're following up on the Transfiguration and maybe looking at some things a little bit uh, before that, after that, all around it, uh, all kinds of uh, different things there. So let's uh, let's jump right into it. Well, um, the more that I I studied... uh, and the more that I studied the things that happened previous to the Transfiguration, uh, I've been I've been listening to um, Jim Collins um, on a leadership several leadership workshops he led for um, Willow uh, Creek uh, Bill Hybels uh, in his the difference between being good and great, and uh, one of the things that uh, he was reflecting on at one of those. Uh, seminars or workshops, uh, I saw manifested here in Jesus, how he began just to teach his disciples. He knew what the big plan was, but obviously they had struggles understanding the plan for the day sometimes, much less the bigger plan, and how through uh, part of uh, chapter 16 of Matthew, he began to talk to them, speak to them about their understanding of who he was, because that was going to be critical for them to be able to uh, to lead the charge uh, afterwards, and when he made that statement to Peter, even after Peter's, <laughs> even after Peter's statement, he made that statement to Peter when he says, it, "You're the rock upon which I will build my church." Uh, he was already planting seeds of what something different would be in terms of. Um, I don't I don't know if I like the word institutional peace. To Christianity uh, being formed, but he was already speaking of the church instead of worship necessarily in the synagogue in the old traditional ways that there had been. And uh, I just watched him, and re- I've read this over and over and over again over the last couple of weeks, how he planted the seeds, how he asked great questions because great leaders ask great questions. He asked great questions um, and then uh, when they got got the answer, uh, he really brought some encouragement to them. Uh, and, and I thought his statement to Peter uh, there in, um, in 16 where he said, uh, what you just said could not have been revealed to you by anybody else other than God himself. Uh, what a word of encouragement for Peter, uh, as well as what a teaching moment for uh, James and John. Um, those three have fascinated me, uh, always have fascinated me why he chose those three. Peter, I can understand because Peter would certainly become in many places the face of the church along with Paul. Uh, but Jesus uh, call, called these two brothers the sons of thunder at times because there's somewhat willingness to be... Um, Oh, maybe even a little volatile in terms of defending the faith. Um, But his favorite term for John was the beloved one. Um, And so I didn't find a whole lot more about James other than uh, it was James who spoke to Jesus about sitting at uh, his right hand and on his left hand. 
so there was probably some other dynamics going on with James that were just not shown in the scriptures. Sure. But I, I just uh, I think about uh, we talk so much about leadership today. His uh, Jesus pattern of leadership here was just just profound because then he just began to reveal to them piece by piece by piece what they needed to have in their tool bag, so to speak, in order to continue the work, the real work that was going to happen after his uh, crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension, Um, even to the point that he began to speak to them after this conversation about who do people say I am, began to speak to them about his impending death. And once again, Peter, (laughs) Peter sometimes would jump in and he'd be spot on. And other times he'd be spot off, <laughs> and uh, and even when he those times when he was spot off, as you said, it would be things that we would likely say or do. Could be, it could be. Um, he was, um, I, I mean, his the depth of his passion for Jesus came out in so many places, um, even on the night of the uh, crucifixion when he says, "I'll never." And Jesus says, oh, yes, you will. That was, that was even a teaching moment as I reflect on that uh, about humility, I think, is what Jesus was uh, speaking a word to Peter about there. But in terms about uh, beginning to predict his death and what would happen, um, he needed this, this inner group, if you would. Um, I mean, there was a group of people of following Jesus of – I don't know, four or five hundred people, I think, at times. Um, On a times when basis, he sent out I mean, yeah. the 70, two by two, and uh, other times. Um, it was just the 12. And sometimes it was just the 12, sometimes it was the 70, sometimes it was a bigger group of people that uh, followed him. And uh, as some said, were counted as his disciples, although not that core of 12. But he was just laying the foundation because he knew someday he would not be here and knew that they needed to know or understand, even though they couldn't understand it on the day he taught it, they they would understand maybe after he was gone what he was saying and then be, an, be able to lead the church. Um, I've never started a church. I've always been a part of a church already existing. So starting from nothing, I've talked to several church planters, starting from nothing and trying to organize is is a challenge and a gift. And I've found really most church planters don't make great church sustainers. That's kind of a... a, They would prefer to plant a lot of times because they've said, I've talked to, to church planters who have been friends of mine and... They said it's uh, it's a whole different thing uh, to be able to start from scratch and to shape something than to come into something that's already been shaped by lots and lots of other mm-hmm. of other folks. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a whole other thing. Yeah. We could get off on a tangent there. I yeah uh, I I uh, had so many other notes off to the side. Uh, John Lowe made an interesting statement. Um, uh, he says the transfiguration is a miniature picture of the kingdom of God uh, in the sense that the brightness displayed, it wasn't like a spotlight on Jesus. It was light flowing out of Jesus, which is different than sometimes it's seen. 
but uh, it was like a miniature projection of what the kingdom of God would be like. Uh, and then I, I, I was also doing some interesting ponderings um, about what it might be like for us with that light. Because we talk about Jesus dwell, dwelling within our hearts. Does that light come out enough so that I'm not looking to glow? <laughs> but on the other hand, wouldn't it be cool if I got surrendered enough that his presence in me would glow and it would glow through me in such a way that it might manifest itself? Um, went back in the Old Testament, I think it was Exodus 34. When um, Moses came off of Sinai, his face mm-hmm. was so bright that um, it scared the people, uh, but it also was probably blinding to them. And he wore a veil for a long time unless he went back into the presence of God, a veil that covered him. Um, and I can't remember if it's in First Corinthians. It talks about the veil being removed. Uh, that veil that uh, Moses, that we would no longer need to have that veil because that brightness we would welcome. Uh, I, I just found that really interesting in this uh, as they were laying the foundation for what was to happen, what was to come, for maybe the vision they needed to have to carry on. Because I'm sure there were times when in that early first church season, and there were seasons of real persecution there. They needed to have an awareness that this was not how this was going to end. Um, I think a good many of them, Paul included, had some thought that Jesus would return before their literal earthly mm-hmm. lifetime was over. Oh, yeah. And, of course, that didn't happen. Uh, and it hasn't happened yet. Um, but to know that this is a part of a bigger plan of God than we can even comprehend at one time. Um, as you were talking about uh, the light um, and shining from us, I always find it disappointing when someone has been uh, maybe working with somebody that's from the church or whatever, and, and uh, they say, oh, really, I had no idea that person was a Christian, in kind of a way of, hmm, really? Um, so um, not that we expect folks to... Um, to preach when they're at work, but what that says to me is, what is their lifestyle? What is their uh, treatment of other people? How is that reflected in? Um, and, and so I, I want people to not be surprised that I'm a Christian. Um, obviously, I'm a pastor, so people know if they're in the church. But outside of the church and other things, I want people uh, to know that there's something different about me and. And you were talking about laying a foundation, and and I think that our society today um, doesn't want to, doesn't have the patience to see a foundation laid. Our society today is all about instant and quick, and in in gratification, and and I'm not going to wait for some foundation to be laid. I want it yesterday, um, and so that that poses an interesting question for uh, leadership. Uh, as well as um, as well as the church in general, are we willing to? Excuse me. <clears throat> are we willing to? Um, are willing to put in the time that it takes and the? Uh, uh, it's kind of boring to lay the foundation, you know. Our our grandson uh, is in fourth grade, and and we help him with homework here and there, and. Uh, 
you know, he hates it. He hates having to read 30 minutes a night. He hates having to do math problems. He hates, um, but I said, you know, you're going to be able to do lots of cool things because you're learning this right now. Well, that's lost on him because he'd much rather, you know, play on his Xbox than do homework, which I understand. But um, are we willing to, to lay that foundation for ourselves and are we willing to help others do it? I'm not sure that we are. I took another little journey. I took several journeys over the last several weeks, and one of the ch- and, and uh, I, I did some I did some reading on the Catholic perspective of transfiguration. Now, but I, I got to say as a disclaimer, I'm not Catholic, and so my limited knowledge of this I hope is not too far off of what <laughs> of what the truth is. But it's my understanding that for them the Hebrew word. Panim, P-A-N-I-M, is sometimes translated as presence, but that it literally means face. So at the Mass, uh, it's prayed that God will bring us into the light of his face, which is um, uh, an interesting piece. I think the Catholic Church and and some of their theology, we as Protestants sometimes just chuck out the door, and it is so deep and brings such a richer meaning to this. Um, but actually, it literally means that we are looking into his face and the brightness of his face. Um, this one comment went on to say, through baptism, men and women are transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit into a new creation in Christ. And this new life in the Holy Spirit heals men and women from sin. I don't know that we often speak as a healing from sin. We speak of healing of our bodies or healing of disease or healing of emotions. But we often... I'm we talk not about sh- cleansing from sin. We I'm talk about sure we cleansing from healing. sin, but we don't speak about healing from sin. And that'd be an interesting little trip to take sometime yeah. uh, on the healing of sin uh, and elevates them to share in God's very own divine life. Yeah. The, you know, the Eastern Orthodox Church, Roman Catholic Church early on, very, um, very much saw and, and still see salvation as a healing act, a healing of the world, a healing of the person, that uh, sin is not uh, something to necessarily be atoned or ransomed, uh, but that it's a sickness that is cured. Mm-hmm. And, and um, it's just a different perspective, I think, than, you know, uh, kind of late, late Protestants uh, bring to it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not a... It's not a legal matter. Um, we typically view sin as a, a, a fault that needs to be rectified or justified. Um, and in some senses, it, it is. There's language like that. But the dominant metaphor for both both the Eastern Church and the early Western Church is, is one of healing. And, um, uh, you know, the transfiguration uh, is a, a, an interesting... Um, it's an interesting picture of that. It's not a direct correlation, but um, it, it certainly has its bearings on that. I think as well. You know, um, what I find interesting about the transfiguration, at least this this account, is that um, you know where where else do we see those same that same declaration of of Jesus uttered, and it is at baptism, and so his his baptism in the Jordan. Mm-hmm. You know, this is my son whom I love, um, and so there's a uh, there's a great kind of uh, 
double end there, bookend there, um, for, for a reason, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it just, you know, happened to be the same phrase. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so those two have always been linked, at least in the liturgical practice of the church, uh, baptism and transfiguration Sunday or that reading mm-hmm. or however you want to, however you want to do that. Yeah, the first Sunday of Epiphany is the baptism of our Lord, and mm. the last Sunday of Epiphany is the Transfiguration. Right. And, um, right. That's I, I like that too. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, and it's all this bookending of who is this Jesus? What is what is Jesus in this world? You know, how is this revealed to us? How do we continue to just pull back the uh, the outside layer there and see what's really going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know. I, I like um, I, something that you said in the sermon yesterday, and you're going to have to help me with the language that you um, that you uh, used. Um, was that um, you were talking? And I guess I had never thought about it this way. You were talking about the fact that when Jesus came to Earth, He gave up His glory. Uh, is that the way you said it? Mm-hmm. And then um, uh, at the Transfiguration, uh, we saw that. Um, and uh, I just, I, I guess I'd never thought of it that way before, and it's kind of weird after all these years. But that's the way Scripture is, uh, after all these years and years of studying and preaching on it, and that I would never have, I, I hadn't put those two together, and I just, I think that's pretty cool. Well, when he came to the earth, he, um, I, I, again, we could spend an hour talking about how we understand the glory yeah. of the Lord, but... Uh, there's a song, or just a phrase of a song that says, "He left the splendor of heaven," mm-hmm. um, and he he really took on the form of a servant, mm-hmm. and that that's the uh, that's what he practiced most of the time when he walked on the face of the earth. But at this moment in time, as well as at his baptism, at those moments in time, the divine nature that was equally his. That's sometimes so hard to explain fully right. God and fully man. That divine nature came out in a way mm-hmm. that said, this is not just some simple guy who's going to lead Israel out of Roman control. This is God himself, the God of the Ten Commandments, the God of the crossing of the Jordan, the God that uh, gave us the promised land, the God that knocked the walls of Jericho down. This is that divine, holy God uh, in a way that maybe we've not seen him, certainly since, for most of them, certainly since what they read about the experience Moses had and the, 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 the other people had when he came down from the mountain. Uh, because that's that story is just, uh, it's only a couple places in the scriptures where we really see that glory of God. Yeah, we see miracles, we see what God does, uh, but yeah, we don't see see it in that same way. And I think for the disciples, that was that was a defining moment for them. First of all, for Peter to be able to say it, and then to be able to experience that divine glory mm-hmm. of God. And it's not a coincidence that it was Moses and Elijah, you know, the giver of the law, and then the prophet of the prophets. The you know, I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. no coincidence. God didn't just pluck two names out of the hat and say it's you two. You know, it's just a really a powerful trio there. Uh, on the but mountain. the clarity with which God spoke right. and said, right, 
I know you place great value on Moses. Right. You place great value on, on Abraham, on yeah. whoever it might be. But this one yeah. is my son. Yeah. He's the one you need to listen to. Right. And um, then for Jesus, after that kind of a for that kind of a spoken word, which you know, and I, I can I can only conjure up, but I can't really imagine what it must have been like to have Jesus standing there glowing, and then God in this unreal cloud come cover them. Which again, my assumption from reading is it would have been as bright light as it could have been, and then for these words to have been spoken, to fall in fear, and then for Jesus to say, "No, no, get up." don't be afraid which jesus says frequently the angels say frequently to us when we have these kind of i call them mini revelations of god like the angels to the shepherds or uh, these mini revelations like uh, elijah had or or, but when when we get to something as big as what happened on that uh, mount of transfiguration for jesus himself who's been identified by god to be god to say don't be afraid I need you to get up. Okay. So I want us to kind of think about all of these weeks as we wrap up this uh, series. And uh, uh, as we have looked at the light of Christ lightening our load. And I realize that the, the days are, uh, are getting a little brighter again. Um, somebody at our dinner table the other night said, it's 530 and it's not dark. Yay. <laughs> um, that... Uh, you know, we still have those difficult days, and if we can fill ourselves with uh, the light of Christ, and, and if you need a, a recap of those, just uh, go to our Daily Connection, and, and you can look at those on, on uh, previous versions uh, of previous weeks, I mean, of, of our Daily Connection, and, and just kind of be reminded of what, what went on there, and just be lightened by the light of Christ. Yeah, grab a hold of some of those, jot them down, and remember yeah. where they are. So, because uh, sometimes darkness comes in the middle of, of a light. bright sunny day, absolutely, or what appears to be a high and holy moments, and yep. and you need to return to those yep. some of those things that help lift us from the darkness back yep. into the light. That's right. That's right. Uh, I think that that's a great uh, lead into uh, uh, to this next. Uh, piece that we're looking at which is 40 days of prayer for lent um that uh that uh, and I'm, I'm actually jumping ahead a minute but it it's my sermon text so i'm going to do it <laughs> uh luke 11 1 is when the disciples saw something in jesus that connected him to god in these prayer times when he would go off to the mountain mm-hmm. and then come back and a lot of times there was some miracle performed, and they said, would Jesus teach us how to pray? Um, and so hopefully in the next uh, several weeks during this Lenten season, you'll be tuned in somewhere, someplace, uh, and pick up some of the things that uh, we're using uh, some material by Rick Warren, um, which uh, I have a, a pretty high level of respect and trust in. Um, but we'll not use all of his stuff because it'll. There's so our much. Own, <laughs> but, our own experience of prayer will come dancing through all over the place. I'm absolutely. Sure. So but, if um, you are not yet in a small group, um, this would be a great time to jump in and let me know, um, and uh, we'll get you connected. Or if you want to be in one of the studies, please jump in because we want you to uh, experience uh, as deeply this 40 days of prayer as you possibly can. So those study groups, again, are on Sunday morning at 1030. 
Uh, Sunday now, night. We've only got a couple of folks signed up for that. So if you're thinking about that, let me encourage you to, to jump on that. Because that may go away if we uh, don't And get then more. we've got uh, at Sunday night and then on Tuesday morning. And a bunch of small groups all small week groups. long. Yeah. So if those days don't work for you, let me know and we'll plug in. All right. Well, that wraps it up for today. And, and goes in the future. And we cheated. Yes. Just a little bit. <laughs> just a little cheating, which is all right. Uh, so we will see you back uh, next time when we talk about uh, prayer coming up. So until then, grace and peace. Mm-hmm.